Get, get, get ready. Get ready for a dose of internet marketing strategy and tactics from the makers of the best digital marketing toolset, Mondovo.com. Mondovo.com. Here, we tell you how to uncomplicate your marketing endeavors and find success online. Let's get digital marketing simplified. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for joining another great episode of Mondovo 101 series. My name is Bala, and I'm your host. Today we are going to talk to Josh, who is the founder and a conversion SaaS copywriter at Sway Copy. He has got immense knowledge in this field and we're going to talk everything about it, uh, maybe because he's got a master's in digital experience innovations too from the University of Waterloo. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Really excited for this. Fantastic. Very good. The pressure is us. So Josh, uh, you know, I, I, like I said, like uh, we've been waiting to talk to you for a long, long time and finally we have this opportunity to talk. And I have thousands of questions to you. Let me let me kind of uh, uh, kind of put these things for the uh, for the viewers and the listeners who are talking to us. Uh, Josh is a superpower user in uh, inbound.org. All you want to know about us, uh, you know, his knowledge wealth is actually over there. And most importantly, you know, we we have been actually in the conversation and we've been doing some kind of research before. And where we did uh, find that the last one year, everything what Josh did was. Uh, not the normal way, but despite that, everything fell in place. It's almost like around $100,000 in business uh, by doing everything wrong. Like the way we marketers keep saying that like, you got to do this or that. Uh, so that's a pretty interesting story, Josh. So tell us everything. Let's start with uh, why SaaS and why you kind of uh, took up this field. Um, let's start over there first. Okay, sure. Yeah. So my reason for picking SaaS, there's, there's quite a few of them actually. The first one was uh, before I got started, I was 100% committed to selecting a niche and sticking to it, which if you've done any research, like looking for a copywriter for your business, you know that most copywriters don't choose a niche at all, right? They kind of just, you know, I'll, I'll write whatever you want me to write. And I saw that as a huge disadvantage. Of course, they kind of appeal to a bunch of people. But uh, with you guys, for example, being a SaaS company, if you were looking for a copywriter, are you going to choose the person who has testimonials from uh, pet stores and e-commerce, blah, 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 or someone who's just like SaaS, SaaS, SaaS companies you know, right? Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, so I start with a big advantage. Um, the other thing is it's kind of what I knew. Before I jumped into this, I, I led marketing at a SaaS uh, startup. So I kind of knew the language, I knew the landscape, I knew who the big influencers were, um, I had been to conferences. I uh, actually went through the AngelPad um, incubator, which is considered to be one of the top ones in, in the world. So I, uh, I hustled in New York City for 10 weeks as part of a, a SaaS company. Um, so yeah, it's, it's what I knew. Um, what other reasons? There's just there's so many. And plus, like when, I, when I look at the future of what I want to write copy for, um, SaaS, as you see it today, is, is really cool. but when you see things like the Internet of Things coming along, virtual reality, I mean, these are all going to find their way into SaaS or SaaS-related fields down mm, the road. So absolutely. So in terms of longevity, pretty important. And I guess the other one was uh, if you look at the maturity of SaaS, it's, it's not very mature. I mean, we're seeing lots of SaaS companies, but they're all relatively small. But it's going to be the future of how you know, business services are delivered. It's already obvious. It's just it's going to take time for it to grow. So I figured it's a market that I can grow along with. Yeah, perfect. That's, that's kind of why I chose it. Perfect. That's like you know very niche one. You have kind of chose the very right area because I personally have not seen any uh, you know copywriter who's kind of uh, 
very specific to SaaS and uh, you were the first one who kind of really kind of portrayed that particular area. Do you believe that this industry is kind of lacking this expertise because you, I'm, I'm sure you're seeing a lot of SaaS pages um, and their landing pages and all and uh, you must be having or you must have understood their flaws. This industry is missing that expertise? Um, yeah, and you know, there are some really, really good marketers in SaaS. So I would say the websites in SaaS are definitely better than in some like traditional like manufacturing niches because they're pretty engaged with what copywriters are writing about and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it's it's still lacking. It's it's early, and uh, especially startups are uh, are struggling with copy. They kind of do what every other niche does, which is they kind of just write from they they write in a vacuum. You know, they don't really understand how to do copywriting and and that it's not creative writing, it's it's going out there talking to your customers and understanding them on a really deep level. So that's still kind of lacking in SaaS. Mm -hmm. That's true, that's true. So, you know, it's good that you brought the startups over there. So what are the kind of um, common mistakes you kind of see in them? It's like, you know, there's a lot of guys, maybe a lot of mistakes there. So what are the common thing you see? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of mistakes. The first one is sort of what I said about uh, people writing in a vacuum. They think copywriting is like creative writing. You just have to kind of wordsmith and come up with really neat ways of saying things, which is completely wrong. Um, another one would be taking the lead from companies that are way ahead of them, which is natural because they're more visible, right? So, of course, you're going to look at Apple and Amazon and Salesforce and see, like, oh, this is working for them, but it's not necessarily going to work for you. Um, a lot of these companies will use very vague headlines, for example, and very vague sentences that don't say much at all. And it works for them because people are coming to their website with um, a familiarity of what they do already, right? They're just kind of looking to check a few boxes before they buy. But if you're a startup and nobody knows about you and they land on your page, they need, you need to take them from the very beginning and tell them very specifically, like with, in the first 10 seconds if possible, what it is you do, how you do it better or differently, and why it's important that they uh, consider your solution. So those vague headlines, like, uh, I could probably go to Apple right now and pick out a million of them, but um, th they're not going to work for you as a startup. <laughs> it's no good. No, so I guess. That's right. It, you know, uh, so, you know the, when you're talking about, the, you know, choosing is something for this particular landing pages or anything that what we write. Yes, of course, they're making a big mistakes with uh, the writing, what they're doing itself. The question that you always had is, like, uh, of course, Pictures are very important when you're actually going to be writing the thing, right? Uh, so I always had this question, like, you know, if, you're, if you say pictures are important uh, and we're talking about B2B SaaS industry, most of the pictures is going to be like, you know, office uh, people sitting in the office, you know, uh, raising their hands, like two guys sitting and talking with a pad or something yeah. like that. Uh, because it's not a, uh, you know, uh, say healthcare where you can have a nurse, everyone is smiling or say fitness where if somebody's running or something like that, this is all going to be right. inside the office. So what is that? Uh, how do you kind of uh, figure it out with the pictures behind uh, what do you write? Uh, with images? Yeah, sort of like you said, you're not, I, I try to stay away from stock photography whenever possible. Um, I should also start by saying, like, if I'm working with a good designer, I'll defer to the designer's expertise on this. Mm -hmm. But uh, just things that, you know, sh show the product in action, um, like key screenshots, I mean, graphs, pretty common. The other thing I really like to include is um, faces, so testimonials, sprinkling testimonials throughout a website versus just having, like, a, a single customer page that you hope people click to, right? Whenever you make like a key statement and you're about to ask them to do something, I love to throw a testimonial in there whenever appropriate that has like, you know, their smiling face saying, yeah, this is a real person saying this. And yeah, so those types of visuals are good for a B2B SaaS.
Perfect. Okay, now I really want to understand what is your creative process? Like how do you think, okay, this is B2B SaaS and many people are there inside it. Uh, so everyone is different in a small particular way. And uh, that's is that a kind of a challenge for you to kind of, uh, you know, be very specific and the whole creative process is going to be different? How do you think in that area? Yeah, so um, this is an interesting one because when I speak to other copywriters or people that are looking for a copywriter, I always make it clear that I don't actually see myself as a very creative person. I would, I would put myself closer to a salesperson than than like a, a fictional writer or novelist, for example, right? So when I think about my creative process, it's not so much a creative process in the way you traditionally think about it. It's sort of how do I go about finding the message, and uh, that varies depending on what's available to me and, and sort of the stage of the company, but. Some common things that I'll do to sort of figure out how they're different and exactly how to say things, my headlines, my body text, and whatever, is uh, I'll send out surveys. So I'll dig into sort of their features and their motivations. You know, what were they doing before they came to a product? What are they doing after now that they're using it? Um, I'll get them to sort of uh, prioritize their features. I'll look for reviews. So um, G2 Crowd, for example, is, is a good place. And I'll sort of dig through there and separate things out based on whether or not it's like sticky. So sometimes someone will just say something. They're not a copywriter. They'll be talking about the product and it's just brilliant. Like it's, it is the headline word for word and that's, that's awesome when that happens. Or I'll uh, go through and, and, and sort of dig, dig out little pain points that they're expressing and, mm -hmm. and see which ones are, are repeated over and over again. That's something I'm going to have to address. Uh, and same with benefits. You know, if there's certain things that, um, someone that a lot of people really love about your product, don't just bury that in the in the features page. Like, find a way to put that front and center because that's a clear that's clearly like a driving force for people using a product. Um, and then just objections too. So if people are talking about uh, you know why they didn't go with your product or sort of the the hurdles they had to get get over before they decided to go with you, address that as well. Um, what are some other ways I can go about it? Um, interviews, obviously. Okay. Whatever um, time and budget permits, I'll I'll interview customers and and get them to talk about their their uh, experience with the product firsthand. Um. Yeah, Amazon reviews. That would be another one that can sometimes work. Um, mm. If you're familiar with Joanna Weeb at Copy Hackers, it's something that she really right. is a proponent of. So I I completely stole that from her. <laughs> um, so that's just where, especially in SaaS, when all else fails, I'll find sort of books that are related to the SaaS product that I'm writing copy for, and then combing through those reviews for a lot of the same things, sticky messages, pains, and, and benefits. So, pretty interesting what you said right now, because you know all those questions, what you've been saying now, it's all you're focusing on the customers, and none of these questions you're gonna be asking the founder or anybody there, because it's 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 in this field that you always get this vague answers from the founders you know especially from the startups like when you ask them why you started the company oh to make money oh okay so <laughs> what what love you have for that company oh to make more money i have that particular love okay what is the future of yeah. this company to make even more money that's the yeah. only kind of concept like and you have to kind of create a landing page and a 600 word copyright out of that particular message which is absolutely nonsense right it's good that you right. know you're absolutely focusing on the customer who's absolutely using the product uh, getting the message from them that's, that's pretty uh, cool uh, do you have any kind of uh, I say uh, any poor cop poor kind of uh, copy that kind of you made the changes and, uh, and things kind of worked out over there um, yeah so I, I won't I won't name uh, clients in this in this particular case I don't like to 
sort of speak badly. They did the right thing by trying to find some good help, so I'm, I'm proud of them for that. But uh, um, let's think of some things I can talk about without identifying them. So there, there was a very niche company, um, and what they have is no free trial whatsoever. It's a $200 a year um, subscription, and what you get is some very niche information. They produce the best information in the market, plus some uh, software as a service tools. And before they came to me, they were actually like quite successful just because they basically had no competitors whatsoever. They had about 10,000 people paying $200 a year um, for this with a small team of like six people. So that's, that's about $2 million in revenue, right, for six people. It's pretty good. Pretty good, yes. Um, yeah. But when I looked at their conversion rates, um, they were getting around 1% of people that signed up for one of their lead magnets um, oh. to become a paid customer, which... It's again not like super terrible considering there's no free trial. But uh, what they were doing was once you signed up for a lead magnet, you got your lead magnet and then you just got dropped into a general thing where they sent you like a newsletter, right? Right. There was no sort of onboarding teasing you like this is all the stuff you're going to be experiencing when you log in or when you uh, become a member. So what I did is I came up with like a very detailed like 20 email um, series that came that came out over 31 days. It had like really good open rates and click-through rates where we kind of teased them. We gave them a few articles for free and you know we demoed the product saying this is what you can do on the product for free but if you just pay you know 20 bucks a month which is which is nothing like you can go to the movies for that or you can become like a leader in your field then you're gonna get all these things and what we did there is we went from about 1% to uh, monthly conversions going between four and seven percent. That's not sales, right? That's not that's not lead magnets. That's that's the final like, sale. That's good. Yeah, yeah, it's like three to five hundred percent more people Absolutely. paying. Absolutely. Right? Yes. Yes. So, so that's a huge one. Another one was uh, an interesting uh, consultant in Germany, mm -hmm. who and we found through doing some research that. Uh, in his particular niche, it's very um, word of mouth driven. Everyone, everyone that he would be consulting, they all kind of know each other. It's mm -hmm. a pretty small market that he uh, he executes in. So we we experimented and we just went like way over the top of this. And when you land on the landing page or on his homepage, it's basically like a title, a headline that uh, kind of picks away at the pain point that he solves, and literally just like faces and like testimonials like that takes up the above the fold. And these are all faces that anyone that he would be consulting would completely recognize. They're all saying good things about him. And, and that also had like a, a pretty tremendous effect Very on that. Good. And I guess one more example that I'm working on right now, so I don't have results, but uh, it's a startup and again, a, a very niche um, SaaS space, mm -hmm. uh, medical devices actually, medical device creation. Mm -hmm. And their product is not cheap. It's like twenty-five dollars to $65,000 a year. Right, so that's a big price to pay for a company, especially if you don't know, you know, who they are and whether or not uh, they can actually execute on on what they say they can do. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing is you're going to basically you're not going to be able to go through the site without seeing like a feature or benefit mentioned and a short testimonial nearby that reaffirms that what I said is true in the copy. So it's not going to be super image heavy. It's going to be more like this is what we do. Here's proof that we do it. This is what we do. Here's proof that we do it over and over and over again. I don't know how it's going to work yet, but I think it'll be interesting. And if it does work, it could be a, an approach that works for a lot of uh, startups that are kind of dealing with that main objection of cool product, but I don't know if you can actually do what you say you can do. Perfect. No, that's pretty interesting for especially like you know for a product uh, which is kind of this expensive. So 
really the ev yeah. everything that has to be kind of taken care of in that particular area good uh, let's talk about some of the challenges that you kind of see over here what are the other challenges in in this field like you know you started everything is perfect and you want to go and execute it but certain things stops so i won't, you know could you kind of elaborate on that do you mean problems in that i face as a copywriter yeah as a copywriter yes okay well there's quite a few challenges but uh one of the main ones that i run into and, and a lot of fellow copywriters talk about it as well is because it's just words that i'm writing um it's very it can be very difficult for the people that I'm writing copy for to take my copy and just implement it. Just completely trust that I did my homework and implement it. Because a lot of the times it's going to be very different than what they envisioned. Because as you had mentioned, when you write copy for your own company, it becomes more about like, I want to communicate my vision to these people, you know? And I think my product and all these features are so awesome that I'm just going to tell them all about it. And you just do like a brain dump. Whereas when you take the customer-centric approach, um, it's going to be very different than what you'd write for yourself. So I'll hand over copies sometimes and they'll be like, "Well, what about this feature? And what about that feature?" And be like, "Well, I went through like 300 reviews and not a single person mentioned that feature. So we can put that, you know, not on your home page, right?" <laughs> so getting getting people to not tweak your copy is uh is a challenge. Hey, you know, that is but, true. Uh, always running. Uh, you know, this is a, you know, we have a, a inner joke over here because uh, uh, people who kind of who hire copywriters right uh, and what they write and give it they will never understand like really what the copy is all about because in the first place they've hired a copywriter to do that so there's no way they kind of do it so i al we always say that the biggest challenge is uh, a, a quick way or an, an efficient way to kind of uh, say that this kind of copy is going to work because sometimes we have to kind of put that copy wait for the results what has to happen over there uh, do you have any kind of uh, way to kind of quickly assess the copy and uh, prove it to the uh, people there? Uh, it's not quick. I mean, testing takes time, especially if you don't have a ton of traffic. So there aren't really any shortcuts around it. I would just, to the founders out there that are looking at hiring a copywriter and, and sort of seeing that they would probably have this urge to edit it, I would just say, like, why are you paying someone so much money to <laughs> do what you're going to do yourself? Like, some clients will literally take your work and just almost scrap it and it's it's uh it's disheartening and you wonder why they just paid thousands of dollars to do that but uh, uh yeah there's no there's no real shortcut you've got to you've got to test it and i would just say you know pick pick a copywriter that you trust and that's another reason that i chose a niche um i feel like it's less of a gamble for a founder when they see that you know i read jason lemkin and thomas tongue is like i know all the SaaS guys you know i read groove hq blog because I have time to. If I were to be a general copywriter, I couldn't get that deep into into any one market, right? <laughs> so yeah, that, uh, that's one way of combating it. That's one reason that I chose a niche. Is perfect. So Look, let's kind of come to the point of what you said right now. So when you're going to hire a copywriter for any agency or client, so what qualities that they should be looking for in a copywriter so that there's a good match? Yeah, so um, about 99% of copywriters are going to shoot me and say when I say that you should pick someone who specializes in your uh, in your area. Um, a common argument is that you know copywriting is copywriting. If you know how to write copy, you can do it for any niche. And it's true, you can probably kind of do it for any niche. But uh, I would argue that you can't do it as well as somebody who just focuses on that niche. They're just they're way more entrenched in it. You know, like. Um, for example, just like a recent example, I'm going to uh, Sastra conference in San Francisco in uh, 2017 next year. Do you know that conference with yeah. Jason Lemkin? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's like the biggest SaaS one, right? And, and I'll probably yeah. be like one of the only, you know, um, 
consultants, um, co-founders there, or founders there that focuses on copy because other copywriters aren't going to pay to go to that conference because it's just one of like 14 niches that they write copy for, right? Whereas for me, it's everything. So I'll, right. I'll be there and I'll be taking in all that knowledge. So choose a specialist whenever possible. And there are specialists in some of the strangest niches like uh, solar, pa solar panels. There mm. are copywriters that just write copy for solar panels. So wow. choose that. Um, whenever possible, ask to see a portfolio. Um, but also someone who was a new copywriter not too long ago, I know how annoying it can be when people are asking for your portfolio. So uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't use it, I wouldn't base your decision just on a portfolio. Um, I'd also be curious just to, to see how they actually like engage with the community. So almost all of my business comes directly or indirectly from inbound.org. Right, and that's Absolutely. because I'm always providing a lot of insight there. So a copywriter that you go with should be pretty engaged. It shouldn't just be like sitting at home, you know, waiting for jobs to come in. Just to see how they engage. What kind of advice do they give in your market that isn't even necessarily just copywriting related? That shows that they are actually like engaged with your particular niche. Um, so I'd go with that. And then obviously they got to be able to write. There's no way around that. Mm. Um, be curious to maybe ask them, you know, what kind of books they read or what they've read. I think that's, you can tell a lot by people by what they decide to read. Um, yeah, I think that would be a pretty good start right there. Oh, very good, very good. That's a brilliant idea there. Okay, so mm, now, of course, there is storytelling also, uh, part of a copywriting. Now, bringing storytelling insights B2B SaaS, is that another challenge? Or how is yeah, it? Yeah, I, th I think it can look a little bit differently than if you're, uh, you know, writing copy for, uh, like, get rich quick and, you know, lose weight type stories. But um, case studies are still super, super powerful. I actually just read uh, an awesome blog article this morning from uh, Groove HQ uh -huh. about how they're doing case studies to, to grow their business. And it, it's just, it's, it's super key. I mean, it shows that everything that you're saying you can do, you can actually do it. There's someone that's willing to put their face and their name to their testimonial that says, you know, before I, I ran into this company, I was doing it this way and it was costing me this much. I, I, I uh, subscribe to their SaaS product or whatever, and you know now I've got these cost savings. I'm making this much more money. These problems are gone. You just tell that story over and over and over again, and and you're, you're golden. So that's how I would use storytelling for uh, for like B2B SaaS. Just like relentlessly collect your customer stories, turn them into videos if you want, or or nice case studies. Break them out into testimonials throughout your website uh, whenever whenever possible. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's how I go about storytelling in B two B SaaS. Very good, very good. Okay, uh, now we you know storytelling. When you're talking about testimonials or case studies, also there's not much truth prevailing in this industry. I think you would agree on that. Uh, like you know, you have this fake testimonials, fake case studies coming in, especially like you know on a discussion that you were doing in uh, inbound. Uh, regarding what Neil Patel kind of puts in his website and uh, most of the people did agree that you know it's a very unethical thing and uh, uh, that was a very good debate which was happening. Now uh, y when you're writing case studies you know got to be really creative in uh, doing that particular thing and also this ethical is you know double-edged sword right uh, because you know you just kind of overdo sometime you know you are not actually telling the truth you're actually overseeing some, something over there just being a little bit creative. How do you address mm -hmm. that? I mean, what is ethical, uh, you know, in copywriting according to you? Let me put it in that way. 
Yeah, this is definitely something that I'm still experimenting with because, uh, and, and that that uh, I know that discussion you're talking about, and it was really interesting to see that there's you know marketers and they're all over the spectrum. There are some that are closer to a journalist, and some that are just like a snake oil salesman. They'll do anything to get the sale. They don't really care about the human being on the other side. Um, so I definitely don't have a definitive answer on what the ethics of copywriting is, but I would say that I'm somewhere in the middle. You know, I shouldn't be lying. If someone clicks uh, a link or buys a product, they should not be surprised by what's on the other side. That, I guess that would be like the simplest way of, of putting it. So um, the, that uh, particular thing that you're talking about there, um, it was an ad, but it looked just like a blog post and it had like a fake fake comments and uh, fake social shares listed. So it looks just like a blog post. You click it and it goes to a webinar landing page. To me, that would be just completely misleading because I clicked that looking for a blog post and I didn't get it. And if you were to multiply that behavior, which I think is another way to look at ethics, the internet would become a very dark and unusable place. You know, like if, if uh, I do a Google search and I can't tell which one is the Google ad and which is the link, it's, it's a problem, right? So. That would be my quick way to, to dig into ethics uh, for for a short call like this. So just don't don't mislead people. If uh, yeah, you know, I, I would leave that. In fact, you know, misleading and also um, or say misrepresentation also is another one because see. Uh, again, talking about Neil itself, uh, uh, of course, you know, great marketer. I mean, if I have learned ten things in today uh, about marketing, it's like eight things does come from his uh, blog. No questions Definitely. about it. But uh, talking about the other side, like there's one article what he writes is about uh, 100,000 views in one year. There's uh, you know one case study has been actually writing complete a series on it, uh, how he's actually uh, building up. Uh, uh, some nutrition company and how he's kind of doing all the marketing trick to do it. I don't know if you uh, saw that particular post or not. Uh, yeah, I, I left a comment on that one <laughs> as well. Okay, uh, like you know, most of the views is basically coming from his own blog itself, uh, and he's actually manipulated that whole thing. And if you actually look in deep inside, I mean, we kind of pulled the data from Mondo itself. We knew it. No, that data is basically coming from his own site, uh, and it's showing that so much of views is actually coming in. And kind of uh, that's kind of really misleading people and telling that okay this is going to work and uh, that's not absolutely ethical. Right. I agree. I, I left a comment on that blog saying the same thing that this com that this experiment is completely useless. The only way it would work is if uh, you know he started a nutrition blog, didn't say anything about it, his name was never attached to it in any way, and then in retrospect posted on I think it was Quicksprout that he might have been writing this on mm -hmm. or NeilPatel.com. Mm -hmm. And then uh, say like, hey, I started this blog six months ago. Um, my name wasn't attached to it. You guys didn't even know about it. All of my views are coming from places that aren't Neil Patel related. And ta-da, this is how I did it. That would be that would work. But I but he didn't do that, did he? <laughs> <laughs> and interestingly, this is the I know he kind of writes it. Okay, this is the website I'm working on, and he kind of puts it in the blog. So obviously, everyone is going to go from there to that particular yeah. thing, and it clearly has a link also going back to that. Yeah, <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, but uh, ethics is something very important, and uh, especially it kind of starts with you because copywriting is even more interesting, right? It kind of goes with the psychology behind it. You know, you kind of put all the five persuasion techniques inside it, five to six persuasion techniques inside it, and then really think about every particular point and uh, kind of tell them uh, what, and we have to kind of balance it out and uh, put it right. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, moving from that. Uh, 
this is one question i always wanted to ask is uh, when you go to those uh, training courses uh, uh, especially the landing pages and all right the testimonials and it kind of goes on and on and on and on it's a length of the pages like oh yeah i'm kind of convinced now right but in yeah. b2b saas especially over here what is the ideal length of the whole landing page should be you know is it like we should be kind of going on and on yeah um i would say there's there's one answer to follow that it it depends on a number of things so i guess it would make more sense to uh to discuss sort of what you need to consider and that and that will go into deciding the length of your page so um first the ask you don't need a landing page that is 10000 words to get a free 30 day trial right because it's it's a, it's a small ask you're just giving them something or same with like uh you know a white paper that you're just giving to them in exchange for an email address that doesn't require a super long landing page but if you are trying to sell you know a $200 subscription without ever trying anything like I did um then a longer landing page is required and I wrote some of those and they were pretty long they were like 5000 10000 words long some of these landing pages right so the ask the how big of a commitment they're required to take if, if they take a call to action The other thing would be uh the objections and you get this by, you know, talking to your prospects or people that have actually gone through the hoops and and become a customer. What what did they come to your website um with in terms of objections? You got to address all of them, especially the the big ones, right? Before you get to your ask. Otherwise, you're going to get to your ask, they're going to have a bunch of unresolved questions and be like, "Eh, I'm not going to do this." Uh would be some other things that would go into the uh the length of the page. I guess the level of awareness when they get to your page as well. So, if they get to your page with just like a slight idea that mm, I might have a problem, it's a little bit annoying, I don't even know if it's worth solving. If they're coming to your page with that, then you need to go all the way from your little problem is actually pretty big. This is what it's costing you. This is what you'll get when, you know, you decide um to fix your problem. These are going to be your benefits. These are all the people that are saying that everything that I'm telling you is true. and then you might get to the ask. So, I would say those three things are going to be the big determinants in terms of like how how long your page needs to be. Mm-hmm. It's not really about the length, it's just it's it's saying all the things you need to say in order to get them from where they are when they land on your page to the place they need to be to to click through. Perfect. And use all the persuasion technique inside it like have the testimonial this that and the whatever kind of right. you know also have the timer running. so that oh this offer is going to end right now you got to go and go <laughs> grab yeah, it yeah, you, can, you can do that it, sometimes i think it's it's not always appropriate but like mm-hmm. if i writing copy for salesforce i might not have a a timer because i think people sometimes associate that technique with uh you know some some shadier parts of the web that that that's exactly what i'm saying like you know the ethical part you know we could kind of balance it out you know that that's not exactly the kind of offer that's going to end you know obviously yeah. it's just an ebook that it's going to come out and you can put a timer just behind it and say hey it's going to increase by another 69 percentage if you don't kind of sign it right uh, right now yeah exactly mm-hmm. and and sometimes it is okay and it doesn't necessarily have to be a timer like uh Paul, do you know Paul Jarvis? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so he has a course and it's generally a good practice when you're um when you're producing courses to uh not have it always open. You should mm-hmm. close it for a period of time, run mm-hmm. people through the course, open it again because it it does create some urgency. So he'll do that. He'll say like, you know, this course ends on July 21st. And that's true. Like he will close it that day. So you really do mm-hmm. need to make a decision bet- before then and he doesn't just restart the timer right after that. So 
uh, it, it has its place for sure. Just needs to be honest. Uh, true, like you know, when it's on a core side of it, you know, there is a human going to be behind that particular thing. You're taking his time, so it's absolutely fine. But like, say, selling a book or a product uh, which is like not going to expire at all, it's going to be there. Yeah. Like you know, that's the point yeah. in exactly put that uh, time behind that. So yeah. yeah. Anyways, uh, now. <laughs> Coming to the the question, what we kind of started with. So you did everything wrong from the beginning, right? The whole year, like there was no. Yeah. Yeah, your website is just coming up right now, and uh, I think uh, by the time we'll be posting that, that'll be there. And uh, yep. no, you know, no lead magnets. Uh, you do not have any email courses, which predominantly everyone does that. Uh, no advertisements, nothing. But how did you achieve like hundred hundred k there? What what was the process behind it? Yeah, so I should uh, start by just like letting people know just how wrong I've done a lot of things. So the last time I published a blog post on my site was a year ago. <laughs> I, haven't published a, I haven't published a blog post in a year. And I'm not saying that blogs are useless. I know that I, I'm, I should blog more and I'm going to blog more. Um, but uh, yeah, so I have two blog posts in total and the last one was written a year ago. Uh, what else? My email list which is something I also intend to grow because I think it's part of the next step, but I don't think it was required to get started, and so I didn't put a lot of time into it. I literally have like 65 people on my email list. Okay. It's pretty bad, right? Um, what else have I done extremely wrong? Uh, my website is literally, at this time, like while we're speaking, not, not when this goes live, it is a Genesis um, WordPress theme that I did like some slight modifications to myself, and I put it up in like a day or two. So it is not a good site. It's hardly even representative of what I'm doing right now. Um, all things I'm not super proud of, but yet things have worked, and and they've worked pretty well. Like uh, I'm not quite at a year full time on my own right now, and if I don't hit the hundred thousand dollar mark, I'll get very close, which is I think really good. Like it's there's there's copywriters doing way better than I am, but there's there's probably like eighty percent that are like not doing well at all right now, right? And so I would attribute that success to, um, to a few things. One, we spoke about earlier, I chose a niche, right? So people are a little bit more willing to take a gamble on somebody who is entrenched in what it is they do for a living. So that was, that was a huge thing for me. I don't think I could be successful doing everything wrong if I didn't choose a niche. Uh, the other one is that I haven't been silent. As, as you said before, you know, I'm very active on inbound.org. It's been around for a while. I've only been on there for about a year, and I think I'm in the top 30 now in terms of, you know, karma, which means I've contributed a lot and people like my contributions. So I've kind of gone through those ranks pretty quick. And through inbound.org is where most of my business comes from, um, either directly or indirectly. And that also started with sort of a hypothesis I had when I got, got into this business, is that as a consultant, you know, I don't need a thousand leads a month in order to, uh, to run a successful business. I need like two or three really good clients a month and that, that number shrinks even more when I have people that are doing like ongoing work with me, right? So when, when, I'm, when I'm on that level, I can do really well just by impressing you know, some, a few key people that feel comfortable sending work my way. So that's been the case. Uh, you probably know if you're on inbound.org, Joel Kletke, right? Mm -hmm. So he's how I got started. Um, and he has consistently sent work my way. Um, and there's a few other people as well that I've never done actual work with, but this, just by seeing my contributions on inbound org, when someone comes up to them and 
they're asking for SaaS copy and they're not really a copywriter, they're more into SEO, they'll just they'll send them my way. And uh, that's been way more than enough to keep me to keep me busy. So uh, yeah, done a lot of things wrong, but <laughs> some of the things work right. And, and also another place that customers come from is uh, Google searches. People, not a ton, but some will search, you know, SaaS copywriting. And despite hardly ever mm. at producing any content, you know, I rank well for SaaS copywriting. Yeah, that's um, good. Mm. So yeah, I, I appear pretty close to the top, I'm pretty sure, for SaaS copywriting. So no, That's very yeah. interesting because I know the way I kind of came to know you, know the work, what you've been doing, it's all about the work you've been doing it on inbound.org. So we thought, wow, somebody was kind of taking a specification over here and then been talking about it. But that's good. So that's pretty interesting. You know, it's a very good study. So it's not that the world ends when you st kind of stop everything. You can try something different and you're a good example for that. Very good. Yeah, and, and I think it also depends, though. Like, uh, if you guys were to not produce content like this, I think you wouldn't have the same level of success that I had because, you know, as a SaaS company, you you don't need three customers. You need a lot, <laughs> right? Absolutely, so, yeah. right. But for people like me who are uh, individual consultants, uh, I, I say don't just blindly blog. <laughs> Absolutely. That yeah. brings to the question, like, you know, do you believe in growth hack? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I obviously believe that there's people doing interesting things that result in growth. So in that way, it's sort of a hack. But I, I try to steer away from you know the tips and tricks that are out there and being like, uh, I did this, and this is how you can also get 200% more sales. Um, because it, it, it's not it's not usually that easy. It's it's you got to look at your unique problems and come up with your own unique solution, which is sort of what I did. I kind of looked at this and I was like. All the tips and tricks are saying I need to blog, you know, once a week. Every blog post needs to be like 2,000 words long. And then how am I going to do any client work? I, I don't even know how this is going to happen. And then I got to promote it on top of that. Those are tips and tricks. But uh, when I looked at the actual business and the real problems, all I saw is that, you know, this is still a people business. I'm just connecting with people online. I don't need 1,000 leads. I need like three that pan out. Um, so I just solved my own problem. And it's not a growth hack. You know, you can't just do what I did for your business necessarily. You need to think about your unique problems absolutely absolutely uh, like you know especially in uh, you know in the SaaS industry like you know the place where we are uh, whenever we kind of do a growth hack you know we understand that the growth is fast but we have to be kind of keep on consistent in what we were doing and when we mm -hmm. stop that you know we see that whoever has kind of come in is like already gone okay so, and it's very tough to do that you know okay for a moment that growth is good uh, but if we could r literally hack the growth uh, you know I think uh, that is the best way kind of uh, kind of be consistent and uh, you kind of keep growing. Anyways, uh, very good, Josh. Uh, there's a lot of learning I've really taken today, okay, from, uh, uh, you know, from the way you actually kind of set things out and uh, the way we have to be kind of uh, putting those stories correctly in every kind of pages. So many, so many good things and I, I'm sure uh, readers are going to have a, a good time here. And if they have to connect with you, Josh, so quickly say where they can uh, kind of find you. Yeah, so my website is swaycoffee.com. You can connect with me on Twitter at Sway Coffee. Social media is another thing that I also do terribly wrong, so <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not that active on on Twitter, but I am there. And uh, otherwise, you can email me Josh at SwayCoffee.com. Perfect. That's the best ways to reach me. Perfect. And uh, in case people uh, who haven't uh, seen Josh, just get into Inbound.org. In every post, you will definitely see. Him. So yeah, uh, you definitely <laughs> yeah. find him there. That's my little face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Thank you very much, Josh. Really appreciate your time here. Okay, and uh, I'm, I'm like looking forward to kind of uh, take another deep subject and uh, talk about it someday again. 
and uh, for sure. and good luck uh, with uh, the new journey that you are starting right now and hope you hopefully you kind of cross 100 and then the another 100 quicker and sooner the bike coming the next year too. Awesome. Have a great. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. You have a great time. Thanks for having me. This session of the Digital Marketing Simplified Show has come to a close. Come to a close. For more information on show notes and transcriptions of this episode, visit, visit, visit us at Mondovo.com. Visit us at Mondovo.com. If you found this episode worth your time, please do spread the word. Tweet it. Tweet it. Email it. Email it. And share it with, and share it with your network. Do keep checking back for more new episodes. Till next time. Till next time. Till next time. Till next time.